Thank you, Elise. Boy, you're a lot taller than I remember you. <laughs> Let me invite you to find a Bible with me this morning and with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be continuing to walk through Mark this morning. Uh, we've been in Mark the last couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, you might remember, we began with Mark's first story, Jesus' baptism in verses 1 through 8. And then last week, we discussed Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. Now, Mark is fairly brief in this account. Verses 9 through 13 describe what Mark says about that. But we flipped over to Luke's gospel also because Luke gives us a lot more information about being out from Jerusalem, out from the countryside. They're hearing the message of John. John is saying, repent, believe, turn your life around. The Messiah is coming. And then John goes into prison at this point. And then Jesus begins to preach or proclaim. Now the early church saw Jesus' baptism and John's arrest here as the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Luke writes in Acts chapter 1 verse 22, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. Those are, those are the two events that the early church saw as markers for Jesus' ministry. It's also worth noting that from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see hardship. It's going to be difficult along the way. Now, there are going to be wonderful times, wonderful things that happen. There's going to be miracles. There's going to be wonderful times of teaching when large crowds come to see Jesus. But there will always be hardship along the way. And this will define the life and the ministry of Jesus. Mark tells us that Jesus proclaims the good news. The word euangelion is the Greek word gospel. It literally means good news. Now, what does that mean? Verse 15 summarizes it. It says, the time has come. All that God has been doing throughout all of history is now coming to fruition. The time has come. What time, you might ask? John told us one was coming after him. And here, that time, the time is here. Jesus has come to begin the kingdom start the work of ministry in the world. Now, this word, this phrase, kingdom of God, you're going to see this over and over in the Gospels. It's a key phrase that indicates that God is on the move. One of my favorite stories is C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Have any of you ever read that story? It's a great story, isn't it? It's a book from the Chronicles of Narnia, and Lewis uses the character Aslan, who is a lion, to represent Jesus. And Lewis is writing this superb. And I remember when my children were small, we would read this story and they would be captivated by it. But if you read the story, you might notice that Aslan does not appear right away. Chapter 1 introduces the wardrobe. Chapter 2, the witch. Chapter 3, you might think that the introductions would be complete, right? But there's no lion yet. Nor in chapters 4, 5, or 6. So the tension is growing as you read the story. And finally, in chapter 7, you think that there is a lion, but Lewis is teasing us as he describes the beaver in such a way as to make us think that it's a lion. When the four children realize they're lost in the woods, Susan notices something moving among the trees over to the left. And whatever it is, says Peter, it's dodging us. It's something that doesn't want us to be seen. It's kind of like an animal, Susan says. Then let's follow Lewis's description. He, he writes, they all saw it this time, a whiskered furry face which looked at them 
at, looked at them from behind a tree. The animal put its paw against its mouth, just as humans, their fingers on their lips when they're signaling to be quiet. Then it disappeared again. The children all stood holding their breath. We think it's the lion, right? We think that Aslan is coming, but not yet. It's a beaver, announces Peter. And then the beaver begins to describe Aslan. The beaver says, they say Aslan is on the move, perhaps already landed. We'll keep reading the story, and now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has some, sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says, Someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream, it feels as if it had some enormous meaning. Either a terrifying one, which turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words. Which makes, you, makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all of your life and are always wishing you could get into that dream again. And it was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside this is how it was for the people of God the time has come Aslan is on the move we read in verse 15 the time has come he said the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news you feel the tension breaking you feel the drama of verse 15? Mark wants us to know that the time is here. The call to action is to repent and believe. See, John had been in the desert. He'd been telling people to repent. He'd been telling people that someone more greater than him was going to come. John said, look, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one who's going to come that's greater than I am. And he's going to baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit. John spoke a message of repentance, but John's message was not new. The prophets have been speaking for hundreds of years about God coming to make things right again. And here we read the time is here. Jesus is on the move. Along the way, Jesus is going to invite people to join him on the journey. Along the way, Jesus is going to reveal his kingdom and how it's all going to work out. And as we continue with the story this morning, we come to another scene. In verse 16, Jesus' first action is to call these men who are out fishing in a boat to be his disciples. As we look into this dynamic, we understand that these men had perhaps encountered Jesus before. We certainly know that at least two of them had been disciples of John the Baptist. They probably had conversations with Jesus, had been around Jesus but now they're out fishing. Now they're out doing what they need to do to make a living. And Jesus comes to them. He's calling them to join him in a deeper sort of way. Now this is the third section here in um, this first phase. We could spend an entire sermon. But I want to simply highlight these verses here. Beginning in verse 16 if you'd look with me. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will, I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. You see the language here? 
at once, right? Another translation says immediately. You see, Jesus' message is one of repentance, one of turning and going a different direction with Jesus. And now Jesus is offering an invitation to these men, a specific invitation to join him, to be a disciple. How do they respond? They follow him. They abandon their nets, their current way of life, and they join Jesus. The next verses highlighted a few other men, verse 19. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Mark tells us about these men right up front. But the message here is that Jesus has called them to leave their occupation and to join him full time. He calls them away from their fishing boats and he says to them, I'm going to help you fish for people. See, Jesus is embarking on a mission, a mission that will initiate a new world, a new kingdom. He invites these early followers to join him and the promise and he promises them that their lives will be changed forever. When I asked the kids, do you think it was a good thing that they do you think it was hard for them? Some of them said, "No, right?" I love that. I love the faith of a child, right? Jesus says to follow, I'm going to follow, right? No questions asked. But most of us who are adults, who have financial responsibility, who understand that life is hard sometimes and you need to have food on the table, would have struggled a little bit with this invitation, right? Leave the fishing boat? Are you kidding me? That's where I make a living, right? And follow you? Uh, Jesus, what are we going to eat? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Right? That's what we would have said as adults. Most of us would not have had the faith of a child. But what do they do? They drop what they do and they go. This picture of the early disciples is an image that's used throughout Mark's gospel. Lives will be changed. The world will be changed. History will be changed forever because God has entered the world. The time has come. I don't know how many of you have watched the the episodes of the series The Chosen. Have any of you seen that? It's a great, um, a great mini-series on the life of Jesus. And while the director of the show does take some liberty, right, as to um, their scenes in, in the movie or in the show that are not recorded in the Bible, uh, it does help us think that maybe there is more behind what we read in the Bible. Why were they so willing to drop their nets and go? You know, if you watch The Chosen, you'll see there's all kinds of dynamics that are happening there that prompt them to simply follow when they are called. Uh, some scholars say that the fact that uh, they were being called by a rabbi, you know, common fishermen, people who didn't have the academic credentials that most disciples would have had, they were being chosen and that they would go quickly because of that. Uh, we don't know all the reasons, but the point is simply that they dropped their nets, they left their boats, and they went with Jesus. I love what James Edwards says about this scene. He says, the first recorded act of Jesus' ministry in Mark is not something sensational, a spectacular miracle or mighty sermon, but a simple summons of four common laborers into fellowship with himself. Why do they say yes? They knew something was special about Jesus. They dropped what they were doing and they went. I find it interesting too that the call comes not at the waters of baptism out in the desert. They didn't leave their fishing boats and go to find Jesus and Jesus invite them to be disciples there. 
Jesus comes to where they are. They're not searching for him. He's searching for them. Edwards in his commentary, commentary puts it this way. They don't search for him, but he searches for them. It is in their world where discipleship begins. You know, when God calls us, we're not always looking for a call, are we? Sometimes we're just going about our lives. Sometimes we're in the busyness of life, and we hear God's calling. Sometimes it's a subtle whisper, right? I want you to you fill in the blank. Maybe write a card to someone who needs a note of encouragement. Maybe visit someone. Maybe there's an, a call to simply pray for someone. And sometimes the call is more drastic like it is with these disciples. God would say to us, I want you to... And he calls us. What's our response? I'm too busy. I'm going to finish this first. Or is it simply, yes, God, I'll do whatever you say. As we come to the conclusion of this section, let's sum up what Mark is doing here in these opening verses. Mark tells us that God has been talking about a salvation act and the establishment of a new kingdom since Adam and Eve were booted from the garden. The prophets have been telling us how it would work out. And here in the opening verses of Mark's gospel, he sets up the story. Jesus steps out of obscurity into ministry. John the Baptist is the one who points to him and says he's the one and baptizes him. Jesus is revealed through his baptism as the son of God. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He retreats into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one, as we talked about last week. And Jesus overcomes the temptation. Jesus God himself has entered our world. And now he's in paradise lost. And in this midst, he's going to establish a new kingdom. The time has come. He's here. He's doing something new. He's on the move. He's empowered by the Spirit. And he's going to begin the work of ministry. And here in this context, he invites these four men to join him. Now, he'll call others to join him. They're not the only ones. But the first followers drop it all, and they go with him. Are you ready for the rest of the story? We're going to keep getting into the story each and every week as we walk through Mark together. But for now, we can focus on the central figure of this gospel, the good news. Jesus, he's here, and the time has come for him to do the work that God has called him to do. He showed up, and he's on the move. Are you ready to join him? Do you want to be a part of the kingdom that he's called to establish? You know, for the first readers of this gospel, it wasn't easy to be a Christian. They were often persecuted, and many of them even killed for their faith. But the work and the message of Jesus was worth it. He's the Son of God, come to make the world right again. He steps into our sin-cursed world in order to turn it upside down. I wonder, how might God be calling you today? How might He be prompting you? And how will we respond? Would you pray with me? Dear God, we come to you this morning. As we hear the story, as we hear your words, the time has come. And as you called these men to step away from their fishing boats and to follow you, they at once do so. God, might we have the same courage as you call us in life 
in different ways, on different levels. God, might we be obedient to hear your voice and respond. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your story. And God, may we internalize it and apply it to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.